Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. So we're picking up today, episode 3 in Mark chapter 2, and uh, we've seen the first disciples called in Mark chapter 1, and they left everything behind. They left their jobs, they left their family, and we found out why last week, talking about the authority of Jesus and yeah, what Jesus we, has power over. Yeah, we learned that Jesus, he's able to cast out unclean spirits, he's able to heal various diseases, including leprosy, and we left off talking about the fact that Jesus can forgive the sins of a man, which proves his deity, proves the fact that he is the Son of God. Uh, exactly as Mark tried to tell us at the very beginning. Yeah, that's right. It's been amazing. Yeah, so we're going to continue reading today in Mark chapter 2. We're going to be picking up in verse 13. If you want to read along, um, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version today. Uh, Let's pick up today. Um, What we're going to see in today's uh, reading uh, is that Jesus is going to be asked three different questions. Like, why is Jesus doing these things? So, So kind of watch for that as we read Um, And then Jesus is going to ask them a question at the beginning of chapter 3, kind of turn things around a little bit, as he always does. So let's begin. Mark chapter 2, we're going to pick up reading in verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous but sinners. I think it's really cool. We see in verse 13, Jesus again going out by the seashore. I I personally, I love the beach. I don't get to go out there as much as I'd like being here in landlocked Pennsylvania. But, uh, you know, it's really interesting that Jesus, he's out here by the seashore, people coming to him and they're ready to hear. They're ready to hear the master teacher Mm -hmm. and he seizes the opportunity. Yes. So we continue to see an emphasis on the teaching of Jesus, not just the miracles, but they're coming to hear his teaching. And he passes by and he sees a guy named Levi, a son of Alphaeus, and he's at his tax booth. Um, so again, we're under Roman rule right now. So Israel is kind of their nation, but they're kind of a subservient nation to the Romans at this point. And the tax collectors have never been historically very well liked yeah, still not <laughs> yeah, yeah to this day um but this is a little bit different in their culture i mean these guys were despised because the jews did not want the romans ruling over them um they were waiting and really in a lot of ways they were hoping the messiah would come and free them specifically from roman oppression and rule make them a nation again and and be a literal physical king. Um, And so we're going to see some of the Jewish misconceptions of Jesus as we go through Mark. But these tax collectors have a, they're almost a symbol of that. Um, If our nation was taken over by another nation and we were still here, but like we were now paying taxes to a foreign government, the presence of that foreign tax booth would just be kind of a symbol of the, the resentment 
and so Levi here um, is not a well-respected member in the community, generally speaking. Right, and there's there's some things to be said about the, the tax collectors in that time weren't really regulated very well. And so if you owed the government $10, he might say, oh, you, owe, you owe the government $13 and pocket the three. And so they generally were... were seen as thieves in some ways. That, that's right. Yeah. We'll see like in Luke's account with Zacchaeus, uh, he says, if I've defrauded anyone, I'll repay fourfold. Yes. You know, so they were, they were known for being cheats um, and swindlers and they're kind of lumped in together. Tax collectors and sinners. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, just two things you yeah. see going together. All yeah. The time. And how would you like your profession to be lumped in with the sinners? Yeah, that's right. So Jesus calls him and just like the other disciples, he just follows him. Yeah. Now, again, I'm assuming this wasn't the first time Jesus met him. But he calls a tax collector to be one of his guys. A f- bunch of fishermen and a tax collector. Yeah. It's like these are the bottom of the barrel guys. These aren't the guys we might go for to, to be the guys that are going to take the gospel into all the world. But that's exactly who Jesus goes for. That's right. And we'll see more of this uh, next time in chapter 3 um, when he calls the 12. And we'll talk more about that. Yeah. So he gets up and follows Jesus. And then Jesus goes to his house. He's reclining at his table, which I appreciate that. He's spending time with him. Yeah. And there are many tax collectors and sinners coming and reclining with Jesus and his disciples. There are many who followed him. So Jesus is here at the table with kind of the the dregs of society here. These people who are not living right currently. Now, he's not, you know, going out into the bars and the brothels and places to be with them. He's not participating in their sin. Right. But he's there to call these people to righteousness. Yeah. And he's there with them. He's, he's there to, them. to expose the darkness and call them into the light. That's right. And so the scribes of the Pharisees, this is our first question. They see that he's eating with sinners and tax customers. Eating with people was a, a bigger deal in their day than than our day. Um, it, meals together was like, you got to be cool with somebody to, to eat with them. And right. so this is something that the Pharisees would have never done, eating with people like that. And they say, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And I love... Jesus kind of mini parable here. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Yeah. So this is a a beautiful thing that that Levi has gone and he has called his friends together, which also is notable that uh, he follows Jesus himself. But then wants other people to follow Jesus. I'm assuming the reason there's other tax collectors there is because he had other tax collector friends. And, right, right. Hey, come, come listen to Jesus. And Jesus is there as a doctor in a hospital. And can you imagine you know, knowing a doctor uh, and saying like, the doctor says, oh, I, I, I don't hang around sick people. Like, <laughs> yeah. What kind of doctor are you? Right, right. <laughs> And I think this is one of those analogies that sometimes gets lost in our culture. I mean, we have regular checkups. We go in every six months. I actually haven't been to the doctor in years, but you're supposed to. But especially in those days, you only went to the doctor if you were sick. And so Jesus is saying, that's who I'm with. I'm with these sick people, these these sinners that need help, need me. That's right. And you know what's ironic about this is the Pharisees are just as sinful as these other people. They just don't realize their need for the great physician. Correct. And... Jesus heals those who come to him for healing. Uh, we'll see that over and over again. As Jesus isn't like going out to people uh, and forcing them to be healed. But for those who come to him, um, he, he wants to heal them. He wants to be with those who are sick. Um, and he'll be called uh, a friend of sinners at different times, which is a beautiful thing for sinners like us. Yes. Amen.
So let's look at the uh, the next question here uh, that they bring to Jesus. You want to do 18 through uh, 22? Yeah, that sounds good. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and they came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear results. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. Okay. So we've got two groups of people here. We've got John's disciples. So this is John the Baptist. And again, not all of John's disciples immediately were just like, oh, Jesus is here. Like there's kind of stages of them realizing what John was saying. Hey, behold the Lamb of God, like go follow him. So John's disciples are still kind of doing stuff with John. And then there's the Pharisees. And both of these groups are fasting. Uh, They have a regular practice of abstaining from food during the week. Right. From our understanding, that would have been on Mondays and Thursdays regularly on their schedule. They would fast. They would not eat throughout the day. Yeah. And this is a good opportunity to bring this up. What even is fasting? What was the purpose of it? Yeah. So fasting is the idea of abstaining specifically from food, though it kind of comes to be a broader principle of abstaining from something that you enjoy. You're giving up something. You're kind of making a sacrifice, saying, like, I'm going to go without something that I need to devote myself to holy things. And that's that's the key here, because I think when we think about fasting, it's like, oh, for my health, you know. And I think that's that can certainly be part of what yeah. fasting is. But there is a spiritual purpose to this, and that is the idea we're seeing here. And that's right. Yeah. And so many times in the New Testament, you see fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer, fasting and prayer. Yes. And in part, I mean, they were in a culture where food preparation took a long time. Right. And so if you're going a day without food, you now have the time that you would have been spending preparing and cleaning up and all that. And you can devote that time to prayer uh, would be one dimension of, of all this. Um, and also just the principle of like de- depriving yourself and saying like, I'm going to realize my need for God. Just like more than my need for food. I can go 24 hours, you know, without food, but I need God even more than that. So they're fasting twice a week. Remember in in Luke 18, the the Pharisee praying in the temple says, I fast twice a week. Yeah, I get tithes tithes of all that. Yeah. yeah. And so I think it's also notable here that fasting is a helpful spiritual practice. We see that all through the New Testament and the Old Testament. It's never bound on everyone in the New Testament. I realize there's some people conditions are like they can't stop eating for 24 hours the health conditions they have it's not something that is a requirement but it's something that's very helpful um and we see it consistently yeah is it in the book of acts we see them fasting in preparation for appointing elders that's right yeah. yep so jesus is going to give three answers so the question here so the first question was why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners. The second question here is why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? That Jesus is a teacher, but he's not doing the stuff the other teachers are doing. Even right. John the Baptist in this case, this is a little different. And so Jesus gives three many parables again, kind of three pictures 
that explain why his disciples are not fasting right now. Yeah. The and, first one, or go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, the first one's really interesting. He uses a wedding analogy, a mm-hmm. wedding feast. You know, while the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. You know, some of you all who are listening, who are married, or maybe you're not married and you've been involved in a wedding, if you're in the wedding party, you're, it's not expected of you to just be sad and, you know, all, all upset the whole time and dreading being there. Your job is to encourage that person and uplift them and be excited for them for what's taking place. And in this analogy, Jesus is the bridegroom and he's saying those around him, they're not going to be sad. They need to be happy because the wedding day is here. That's right. And he notes that in verse 20, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in that day. So he's not saying my disciples are never going to fast. He's saying this is a special time and the bridegroom is here. It's like a wedding feast. That's not the time to fast. This is a time for feasting. And so he makes the point that because he is here in a special way during his ministry. Right. That's not the time they're going to be fasting. They will be fasting later. And we'll see that in the book of Acts and later on. Right. Um, and again, there's a little bit of a foreshadowing of his death here. The bridegroom is going to be taken away. Right. Um, so we will see that later. The second analogy that he uses is about sewing. And I'm not big into textiles, <laughs> repairing clothing or anything. But I think I can understand this. The, the unshrunk cloth. He says you don't put a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Because once you, if you sew that on there and then you wash it, it's gonna it's gonna shrink. It's gonna pull away, and he's gonna say a worse tear was made. And notice that the words new and old, new and old, are just kind of over here. The the new tears away from the old, and it, and it destroys the garment. And this really goes together with the last analogy. You don't put new wine into old wine skins. My understanding is, you know, they would have these animal skins where they would keep grape juice, and so like they put the grape juice in there, they'd seal it up. And it would have time to ferment. And when it would do that, it would there would be gases and it would expand. And it would harden the, the animal skins. And so, like, when you're done, you pour out the wine. But you have this skin left over that's now kind of expanded, stretched, and it's hardened. So if you try to do that again, like you put new wine into old wine skins, what's going to happen? It's going to burst eventually. Blow up. The, the yeah. gases are going to expand it to the point that it pops, just like a balloon would. Exactly. Yeah. And so, again, you have the destruction of the cloth with the new patch on an old garment. You have the destruction of the wine skin with a new wine and an old wine skin. And so I think the, the picture here is that Jesus is, he's the new. He's come in and it's not that these traditions are inherently bad. But it's that Jesus is not here just to conform to the religious traditions of his day. You can't contain him in those old traditions. Right. So, in other words, he's the new wine that they're trying to pour into the old wineskins. And if you force him in that way, what's going to happen? It's going to blow up. Yeah, exactly. It's not going to work. And so, you, you, like Stephen said, you can't contain Jesus with these old traditions. He came bringing new things. Yeah. We're going to see some more of this later um, in Mark when Jesus confronts more of the specific traditions of the Pharisees that were actually harmful. Now, fasting here is a, is a good tradition. It's just that Jesus wasn't following their way of doing it. And he's saying that's okay. Right. It's appropriate here. Uh, but there were some other traditions they had that were actually harmful, and Jesus will have a lot more to say about that later on. Right. Uh, so this brings us to the kind of the third question that Jesus uh, gets to about the Sabbath day. Um, so let's pick up reading in Mark 2, verse 23. 
One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they not doing, or excuse me, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Uh, so it's it's the Sabbath day. And again, this is the seventh day of the week. We'll see like at the end of the gospel accounts, we'll say like after the Sabbath on the first day of the week. That's when Jesus rises from the dead. Um, so this is not Sunday. This is Sabbath day, the seventh day. And what was the big rule about the Sabbath in the Old Testament? No work. No work. You work six days and then you do not work on the seventh day. And there was a lot of background to that. It was a, it was meant to be a remembrance of their deliverance from Egypt. It was a remembrance of creation. And so there was a lot packed into the significance of that seventh day. It wasn't just a like, hey, just chill out, but it was supposed to be a, a holy day. Yeah. In fact, one of the ways that will phrase it in the Old Testament is they were to take some time and reflect on the fact that they were slaves mm -hmm. and brought out of Egypt, like you said. And that's that's a blessing. Like, yeah. what a cool day. <laughs> so it's about deliverance. It's right. about the lifting of the burden that they had when they were in Egypt. Yes. And now you're lifting your burdens of work on this seventh day. And it's supposed to be a blessing. It's supposed to be a day of rest. Now, the Pharisees had kind of taken that and just turned it into a thing of oppression. So the, the disciples are going through the grain fields and they're plucking heads of grain. They're not stealing here. Right. We couldn't just go out to a cornfield and start taking corn. That would be stealing. But the law, in fact, had provisions for this, right? That's right. Deuteronomy 23, 25, it says like you can, if you're going through the grain fields of your neighbor, you can pluck the grain. Just don't like take a bag with you and like <laughs> harvest it. Don't bring a sickle with you to get a bunch of it. It's like... What you can carry in your hand and, you know, just like eat, you can snack on it, basically. Yeah. That's that's okay. And so that's exactly what Jesus and his disciples are doing. Now, the Pharisees get on to him and are saying, look, why? So here's our third why question here. Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And so I think it's just important to note here that this is not unlawful, what they're doing. Right. They're saying that the law was okay. They're not harvesting on the Sabbath. They're getting a little grain as they go through the field. Yeah, this is a false accusation. That's right. They're misinterpreting what the law said. But it violated what the Pharisees' tradition What was that taught. called? Like the Talmud or something like that? that? Yeah, that's from later, like after Jesus' time. But they would collect a lot of their traditions and right. stuff as a kind of a hedge around the law. Uh, so there was like the actual law. But then they made extra rules to, I think it started out as a, a good idea as right. far as like, well, we really want to be careful not to break the law. But they ended up treating their own laws as if it was actually the yeah. law. And Jesus will handle that later in chapter 7. That's right. So when the Pharisees say it's not lawful, it wasn't actually unlawful, but it was against their traditions. So that's helpful to, to realize. And so Jesus brings up David from the Old Testament. You can read about this story in 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 6. And David was in kind of a desperate situation. He was on the run from Saul. Now, granted, David is not a great example in this story. Uh, he, he's a little bit desperate. 
And he, he ends up lying about why he's there. He says he's actually on a secret mission from Saul. He's actually running for his life from Saul. Um, and his actions in that chapter have some disastrous consequences later on. So, yeah. so David is not a, a great example in this chapter. Um, but he's in need and was hungry. Those who are with him, he has like, I think, 300 guys with him at that time. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. This is no small crew. Um, and so they go into the house of God and they ask the priest, hey, can we have some bread? And they say, all we got here is this bread that's part of the you know the tabernacle right. at the time. And they said, well, as long as you guys are ceremonially pure, basically, uh, yeah, you can have yeah. it. And from the best of our understanding, the only people that could be eating that bread would have been the priest, like it points out to us in verse 26. That's exactly right. And that's in Leviticus 24, verse 9, that it says like the bread is only for the priest to eat. It was like displayed in the tabernacle for a certain amount of time. And then when it was taken off, the, the priest could eat of that bread. And so here, David, who is not a priest, nor his men, uh, end up eating of the bread, uh, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And so Jesus brings up this this example of David, and there's a couple of different points that Jesus might be making with this. And it's exactly it's hard to exactly tell what's going on, but either way, we'll see the same conclusion from these things. One way we can think about this is that David was just wrong in, in what he did. He he shouldn't have taken the bread uh, from that. It, that it was not lawful for him to do that, nor his men. Right. And so one of the possibilities that Stephen's alluding to is that Jesus is trying to show some inconsistency on these Pharisees' part. Of course, they they hold David in this high esteem, and I understand why, and yet they won't condemn him in any way. And Jesus is saying, this is inconsistent. You're holding me to a standard that you won't hold someone else to. You're being inconsistent here, and you need to fix that. Yeah, so the Pharisees see them in the grain fields on the Sabbath. They're jumping on Jesus for doing something lawful. But they're not holding David in contempt for doing something that was unlawful right. in the Old Testament. Of course, that's not the only unlawful thing David did, certainly. Right. Yeah. Um, so that could be the point. It could also be that Jesus is making a point that what happened with David was an example of of showing mercy in a situation of of deep need. That even though David wasn't doing everything right in that context, he was in desperation, he and the men who were with him, and... Yes, the bread is generally for just the priests, but Jesus is saying in this situation, mercy is what should happen. And that is what happened. And so the Pharisees have just like missed the point of the Sabbath day is that the the rule for the Sabbath is for deliverance. It's for mercy. It's for compassion. And they've made it into this oppressive rule keeping thing where they're running around like trying to keep people from eating a snack. On the Sabbath. Day. Yeah, I mean, if, if you have a day out of your week where you don't go to work and you sit there and think about all the blessings that you have and the fact that you're not a slave anymore, that's going to be a pretty good day. I would look forward to that day. Yeah. But here they've turned it into a curse. And so Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man. This day of rest was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And it's amazing that uh, sometimes we do that. We take something good and we turn it into something evil and we, we twist our mind uh, to thinking that it's not what God wanted it to be. Yeah, that's right. And so they've turned it up, upside down. And then he says at the end, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I mean, think about that. Jesus is God. Like He made the Sabbath rule. He was there when God said, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Like, that's, Jesus is there. He's one with the Father. And so he's Lord of the Sabbath. And again, we continue to see 
the authority of Jesus, just like we saw last week. Um, he has authority over sicknesses, demons, forgiveness, and he has authority over the law. He's not going to be breaking the law that he made. He's trying to teach them the intent of that law and that they've made into something just, they totally missed the point. Yeah. And anytime I hear this, you know, that the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath, I think of the Sabbath day as being rest. The son of man is Lord, even of, of giving rest. And of course, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. rest. That's a great yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. Great connection there. So this really leads into chapter three. This is kind of a poor chapter break. Uh, these two stories go together. This is another Sabbath story that I think, again, reinforces the main point that Jesus is making in both of these. Um, let's do three, one through six. Yeah, sure. Chapter three, verse one. He entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. They were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So uh, he said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately began uh, conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Yeah, so we've got this guy in the synagogue, and his hand is just shriveled up. This is a terrible situation to be in, because, I mean, that would affect your work. It would affect your ability to have income. Like, this guy is in a tough spot. Yeah, and it's amazing to me what these Pharisees are doing in verse 2. They were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath, yeah, so that they might accuse him. We're going to get to this in a second. Healing him would be a good thing, and yet they've turned it into this evil thing, if he does it on the Sabbath right. day. The same exact thing they did in the previous story. And it's not like there was a specific law against like You can't heal people on the Sabbath. I mean, the blindness that they have to have to see like, oh, if he heals him on the Sabbath, that's breaking this. Wait a minute. How did he but, heal but, him? Where, where did you even get that? Yeah. Like, where are you going with that? Yeah. And only God can heal people like this. And so, again, it, it's amazing. Well, and can you imagine hating someone so much or, or wanting to trip someone up so much that you're like following them around and you're just waiting for them to do something so that you can get after them? Yeah. This won't be the only time we see that happen. The Pharisees do That's that right. a lot. And we have to be careful. I mean, obviously the Pharisees uh, just kind of become the poster child of what not to be in the New Testament. Right. But it's so easy for us to have the same kind of hypocrisy. Oh, amen. And we have to look at our own hearts when we read this. Is It's easy for us to do the same thing with the laws of God, um, even the laws in the new covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just that the old covenant has been fulfilled. We've got a new covenant. We'll see that later. But that God wants our hearts to be transformed. And so Jesus has two reactions here. First of all, he kind of makes a show out of this. He says to the man, come here. And it's like, He's not going to like take him to the side like, oh, well, this is going to make him upset. So I'll just heal him privately. No, no. Like Jesus makes us a teaching moment and he does it in front of everybody and he asks them a question. So we've had three questions to Jesus. Why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? Why aren't your disciples fasting? Why are you doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? But now Jesus has a question for them. And he says in verse four, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? to save life, or to kill. And they didn't say anything. They're silent. Yeah. Because they, they know that he's revealed their hearts. He's asked a question that reveals that they're looking to do harm on the Sabbath. Yeah. 
and he's looking to do good. And I'll point out that this is very similar to when the, the, the man who couldn't walk in chapter two was healed. When all the attention was on Jesus, he used it as a teaching opportunity by asking a question mm-hmm. and trying to get them to think through the situation and think through uh, what's happening. That's right. Which is easier to say, you know, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Great, great connection. And look at his reaction in verse five. He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Yeah. And I don't want to soften that. And I hope, and I, I know there might be some Bible translations that do. Like Jesus is angry about this. Yeah. And I don't think he's in sin. This is righteous anger and indignation for what's happened. Yeah. And and he's also sad. I mean, there's anger and there's deep sadness. There's grief here. There's, yes. he, he loves the Pharisees even. He, he wants them to be saved, but he sees their hardness of heart and that angers him and it grieves him. And I mean, we just need to think about how our sin affects God. Mm-hmm. Like that, that is a, a sobering thing. Now, we know that God can soften hard hearts. It doesn't mean that every hard heart will come around, but uh, wow, this is sobering to think about. Yes. And so he says to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched out and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees were marveled and said, who can do this? This is amazing. No, that's no, not what the Pharisees did. this do. time. <laughs> they went out and they held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Yeah. So it's the Sabbath day still, right? And they go out to their... This, they were, typically been political enemies, basically. Remember how the tax collectors right. were hated? Well, the Herodians, followers of Herod, uh, they uh, they go out, and again, it's still a Sabbath day, and they are plotting to destroy Jesus, and they're joining with their enemies, the Herodians. Right. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And it, right. go, it goes back to Jesus' question. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath or to save a life or to kill? They kept silent there. But we actually get the answer to Jesus's question in this verse. That's right. It is better to kill. They're going out to actively plot how to destroy Jesus Christ. And I, I see why Jesus is grieved. Remember, these are the Pharisees. These are Jews, God's people. And yet Jesus sees just how far gone they are. And I, I can understand his grief and I can understand why he's angered by this. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. So, so these three questions have really revealed the mission of Jesus, um, that he's come to heal, to be a good physician, that he's come to fill, to do something new um, that doesn't fit into the old, um, and that he's come to give deliverance like the Sabbath day foreshadowed, the, the true Sabbath day, not what they had turned the Sabbath into. Uh, so next week, we're going to see Jesus growing even more in popularity. He's going to call the 12. He's called a few disciples so far, but he's going to get his 12 guys, kind of his crew together. And we're going to see the opposition to Jesus escalating a little bit. They're going to make some really serious accusations against him, and we'll see how Jesus responds to that. Um, again, if you have any questions about today's episode, um, or if you'd like to reach out to us, especially if you're in the Harrisburg area, but wherever you are, uh, please reach out to us. Uh, you can call us or text us um, at 717 717- Send us an email at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com or for more information, uh, visit capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for tuning in today.